Hello and welcome to the High Maintenance Hippie Podcast. This is your host, Ashley from Ashley Taylor Wellness. On this podcast, we talk about all things beauty, health, wellness, and optimization. Being a high maintenance hippie represents not being boxed in, as I strongly believe that one size does not fit all. I'm a nurse turned coach and I have learned so much about both conventional and alternative options and I want to help you expand your options. I'm here to inspire you to learn new ways to improve your quality of life and to take your power back. I'm so excited that you're here. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the High Maintenance Hippie Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Vincent Esposito, and he is a chiropractor who specializes in detoxification and iridology, which is something I'm really excited to learn more about myself. So we have talked before on Instagram and done a live together, but I'm really excited to do a podcast with you. So thanks for being here today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. So I'm excited to kind of catch up. This will be good. Yeah. So for the audience, if you're new and maybe you haven't met Dr. Vincent yet, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and why you became a chiropractor? How did you go down this path that is alternative to so many? Yeah. Um, I'll try to keep this short. So I actually went into chiropractic school with the intent to go into sports medicine. So was a college athlete. In college, though, I developed a lot of health problems. That's when they mostly developed. I knew I didn't want to go the medical route because I didn't, surgery was not appealing to me in any way. That's not something I wanted to do. So I worked as a trainer in college. Part of what I was doing was helping other athletes who were rehabbing, like coming off injuries. I found that interesting. So I figured chiropractic school might be a good way to go if like, if that's where I want to go. Go to chiropractic school, end up bringing these health problems that I developed in college to chiropractic school with me. And just quickly, I'll give it a rundown. I put on like 20, 25 pounds. Seasonal allergies, never had those before. I was like 19 years old. Fatigue, brain fog, digestive issues. That's the main ones that I'm remember calling. A need mm-hmm. for coffee. That was the big one. I never had coffee before I went to college. So that was like a big deal for me because I've always been like a morning person. Anyway, bring all those with me. My second year of chiropractic school, we had a naturopath teach biochemistry. And she just taught it in a different lens that I learned it in undergrad and that intrigued me enough to learn more about nutrition so i ended up getting a a degree in that while i was there so i got two at the same time and towards the end like right about a year or so before i was going to graduate i was like okay i'm learning all this stuff this is nice but like i'm still dealing with the same issues why don't i start making like some of these changes that i was learning about within two months I would say a lot of those symptoms I mentioned started going away. The energy came back. The digestive problems kind of went away on their own. And then I would say within like six to nine months, because I forget the time of year, all that weight kind of came off. And this is not dealing with calorie counting or anything. I never did anything like that. And the seasonal allergies went away. And now I'm getting close to graduating. And I was like, wow, like, you know, rehab and stuff like that is interesting, but it just took like a little bit of education and then application. Mm-hmm. And I was able to kind of deal with things that if I was going to continue to go down that route, I kind of knew where that trajectory was going to get me. To me, like just changing that w- was enough for me to be like, oh, anyone can do this. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of, application and and consistency. And to me, that was a much more powerful thing 
than just dealing with injuries. And I'm not trying to belittle that because we certainly need that. But it to me, it was a bigger scope. And to me, I found that more impactful. Basically yeah. what I've been doing. And there's so much information, even on social media. I'm guilty of that. You know, I felt like I needed to learn all of this stuff. I think most people have enough to work with. It's the implementation, or as you said, the application of what we know. And in your case, what seemed to move the needle the most for you? Whether it was free or something that you paid for, what did you need to prioritize that you weren't when you were having those issues? The biggest thing for me that I changed over that time frame. now certainly since then, other things have changed. It was largely what I was eating and I in intentionally only wanted to change that. My workout routine didn't really change. My sleep routine didn't really change over that time because I'm, let's try to do this at, in, and it's N equals one, but like as quote unquote scientific a way as you can do it. Yeah. And once really the first two months when the digestive issues and the energy came back and like I didn't need coffee, that was like, okay, let's keep it going. And then from there, it's just been building on like other tools from basically since I graduated to now. That was where it started for me because I was like, I want to try this one thing and, and use myself as a test subject. That yeah. makes sense too, because Dave Asprey talks a lot about how he'll implement 10 things. He's like, I don't know which of them is actually helping, but at least I feel better. But this way you can really see how does just changing the diet, not just, it's a big change, but how does that impact me? And so one question that I think is kind of, like a leading question, but do you think that most people feel that it's it's normal to just want coffee every morning for energy purposes? Do you think that's something that society has just kind of accepted as like, yeah, that's normal. There's no problem with it. Absolutely. I mean, and that's very yeah. obvious. I mean, if you live in any town or city, I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to go a block or two without seeing a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts or any artisanal coffee shop, doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I certainly don't have a popular opinion on this, and that's totally fine. But I, I think we need to appreciate and respect what coffee and really caffeine is, which it is a drug. You know, certainly there are times and applications for it, but, you know, you will if you're doing it every day, that is an addictive tendency and is an addiction. You just have to call a spade a spade at some point. And I'm certainly not different from anyone in that sense, because I, I went through the withdrawal phase twice in my life for that, for just doing that. Mm -hmm. It was not fun, but I felt better on the back end of it. And I don't think you realize it until you go through it. What is the reason you're doing it? Is it just a habit? And if it is just a habit, then why? Because yeah. there are so many other things that it can affect on the back end, like your sleep. I know we were touching on this a little bit before, but like sleep and circadian health and stuff that is going to impact you within 24 hours of you drinking a coffee, whether you realize it or not. And I think that's the part that most folks miss because it's just kind of a thing people do. And you see, you know, kids who are like 14 at Starbucks or whatever. And it's yeah. just it's crazy. Yeah. When I was little, I remember being uh, maybe third grade and I saw Starbucks, I would get hot chocolate with the little sleeve. And I thought I was so cool. And to me, it meant being an adult, but 
you're a chiropractor. I feel like chiropractors know the body better than anybody. I think there are just generally speaking, not all chiropractors, but I feel as though the importance of the nervous system is really something that you all understand. Not anti-coffee, obviously. I love coffee enemas. I don't drink coffee by mouth that often. And when I do, I tend to notice that I feel a little anxious. But let's say someone's changed their sleep. They've changed their diet. They're making all these changes, yet they're drinking one, two, three cups of coffee a day. Why would that get in the way of their body's ability to heal on a nervous system level? For this point, especially when you're talking about chiropractors, I think we have this stigma that we're like spinal doctors, but really it has more to do with general nervous system function than just looking at the spine. And that's kind of like the disconnect between what we're actually taught and what the public perception is. Mm -hmm. So to your point, I think that's why a lot of folks kind of nail down this, like this aspect of it. So to answer your question, caffeine, as you know, is a stimulant. And if you're having, again, multiple cups a day, what we know is like the half-life of caffeine is roughly between six and eight hours, depending on where you look. Half-life, for those who don't know, is basically if you have a dose of something, 100 milligrams, just for round numbers, it's how much time it's going to take to get down to 50 milligrams in your bloodstream. And generally, again, depending on where you look, is six to eight hours. Now, you do that out two to three times. If it's 100 milligrams, by the time you go to sleep and say it's six to eight hours, probably by the time you go to sleep, about a quarter of that caffeine is still going to be in your bloodstream. You have it as soon as you wake up in the morning. Most people don't do that. They'll go get an afternoon cup at like 2 p.m. because they're having a rough day at work or whatever. That is going to mess up the release of certain neurotransmitters, particularly you're going to get adrenaline or epinephrine, norepinephrine, things of that nature, cortisol too, which is a stress hormone, which should be going down, generally speaking, throughout the day, provided you're not doing any physical activity or something like that. But if we're constantly raising it, altering it using a drug, that is going to affect how you sleep. You know, it's one thing to do it on an off chance you know maybe you have to drive somewhere in the middle of the night and you're trying to stay up or you're picking up a night shift for some reason at once in a while that's fine but again you know there's a difference between judicious use and daily use and if you do this over time you're basically going to be taxing the nervous system while you're saying but particularly your adrenal glands for a few reasons one is we mentioned the cortisol aspect but the part that maybe not everyone brings up is kind of like there's a branch when you make hormones in the adrenal glands. You could either go to make stress hormones like cortisol or to make sex hormones. And this concept is known as pregnenolone steel, which is kind of like the precursor. But basically, you're either making one or the other. And the body in and of itself, it's actually a kind of genius design because sex hormones aren't that important if you need to run for your life at a given moment. <laughs> So, you know, like, okay, let's shut that, shut that down for the immediate threat that we need to get away from or fight. That's, that's the whole point of a fight or flight response. The problem is when we're constantly throwing stimulants into the equation, it's going to throw that balance off. And I think that's something a lot of folks don't recognize when they have low libido or erectile dysfunction in men, which is a huge problem 
or anything when we're talking about PCOS or or any or ovarian cysts or anything like that. All those are going to be related in some way to hormone imbalance. And again, constantly using something like that, while it seems mundane, does have a trickle down effect over time. And stress is something that we know affects people physiological stress, emotional stress, mental stress, whatever it might be. It isn't something that we can tangibly see. Although I don't believe you use an aura ring or any type of wearable tech, correct? I don't get the vibe. I do not know. Okay. So uh, I do use an aura ring and I'm able to see that, but I have not yet tried what happens, like what the data looks like when I have a cup of coffee. Does my heart rate spike? Like what's actually happening? And the state that we're in is so important. So once again, Mm. the chiropractors that I've spoken to really get that. There's never been someone who's more functional minded. You know, there are some that are like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, we'll just adjust you and go out the door. Totally. But the ones who really get it, see how it's all connected and that our state makes a big difference. So it's just something to think about if you're trying to get healthy and you're like, I'm doing all of these things, but are you giving your body the opportunity to slow down? And in your work, have you seen that people, when they give themselves, either they retire, they have chronic illness and they have to take a sabbatical or a break from work or something like that. They're given the opportunity to rest and they really struggle with that. Have you seen that at all? Yeah, I'll get to that. But just to come back to the aura ring point, because this is a good point and this is Mm -hmm. anecdotal, but I do have patients and clients who do use those. And I have seen with them, if they can taper off caffeine or a big one too, is actually like alcohol at night. So a glass of wine or whatever really impacts their sleep. And sometimes it's nice having that quantifiable measure, at least for them, because they're like, oh crap, like that actually does make a difference. I do have that. I don't personally use it, but when people do have it, I'll be like, okay, these are things like worthwhile checking into. Mm-hmm. To your question about like when people need to take a break, they have trouble downshifting. Yeah, that's a big problem. And, and there's a lot of reasons for this. One of which actually I just posted about today. And, and a lot of it has to do with the tech that we're on right now. And, and it's a struggle to talk about it because obviously we wouldn't be able to do this without some of the stuff available to us. So there certainly are positives to it. But a lot of this stuff is really unchecked. And what I don't think folks realize yet is that there was a law passed in 1996, basically gave telecom companies the same blanket immunity that vaccine manufacturers got in the 80s. And most people don't know that. I I know know a lot of people, exactly. So they have basically the same blanket immunity for non-native emf radiations and things of that nature now the biggest one now is probably 5g but blue light generally artificially artificial blue light i should say is the biggest one so i know a lot of folks talk about being addicted to social media the fomo part of it right like the the doom scrolling which is a big thing that will keep you in that sympathetic dominant spot why It's going to raise epinephrine. It's going to raise dopamine. So generally in those folks, there's probably like a low dopamine aspect to something going on and that's going to bring it up. But blue light's also going to do that. Now that's great when it's 11 o'clock in the morning during the day when that's fine. That's That's what's supposed to be happening. But after the sun goes down, it's a little bit different. That's supposed to be a downshifting time. What I tend to find is... 
again, these are going to be the same folks usually who are on their phones at night are going to be the ones who are going to struggle with their sleep. And then what happens? They have the coffee in the morning because they slept like crap and it becomes basically like a vicious cycle that repeats yeah. itself. None of these things are like independent. A lot of folks have known this stuff is addictive for a long time. And the post that I was referencing this morning, again, this might sound far-fetched to folks, but back in you know the 50s, like the late 40s, early 50s, when the mob was moving into Las Vegas, they were building casinos. Now, anyone who's ever stepped in a casino mm -hmm. knows there's no windows and there's a lot of bright flashing lights everywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that done? Now, they might have not known the specific science at the time, but they do know if there's no light coming in through a window, people over time are going to lose track of time. And if you constantly have bright flashing lights and sounds, et cetera, you're constantly triggering different stress responses, whether you think it's a stress or not. And that's the thing, because these things do not exist in nature in any way. So you're going to end up staying up for longer. You're going to end up wanting to stay because it, it leads to that addictive tendency. Turns out it's a little bit safer than, say, robbing a bank. That's effectively like how the casino business in general like started getting into it. The CIA actually ended up picking up on this. And that's why you see, it's funny, sometimes in movies you'll see like with alien abductions or anything like government related when they're interrogating people, there's like huge, like bright spotlights on whoever they're interrogating. A lot of that stuff was picked up and then has kind of been used since then. And there's been a lot of research on this basically back in the 50s and 60s was done by, you know, DOD and some independent researchers and a lot, believe it or not, outside of the West. So it, it was in like Eastern Europe, Russia, which at the time was tricky because you couldn't just, you know, translate things like you had to have people physically sit down and do it and you had to find people who could do it. Yeah, it, it's a bigger problem than folks think, especially when it comes to sleep and caffeine, since that's what we've been talking about. It, yeah. it, it's a it's a huge deal. Yeah, it's so interesting you bring that up. A few things I wanted to address. I've been a burnout coach. That's where I started. And then we couldn't tangibly measure stress and things like that. I use the aura ring. So it's able to show me, like you said, if I drink alcohol before bed, which I no longer do, how is that affecting me? All of these things. But you mentioned whether we think it's a stressor or not regarding blue light. So, so many people will message me, whether their clients are on Instagram, and they're like, I don't understand why it says that I'm stressed. I feel, I feel fine. Because we have normalized, so many of us, a state of sympathetic dominance. So when we go into relaxing, we're like, I don't know what to do. This brings up a lot of feelings that I'd rather stay busy to avoid. So interesting. And you mentioned doom scrolling. So you and I met, first crossed paths. I don't think we've ever met in person. We know a lot of the same people, but I don't think we've ever met in person. Um, but that was probably 2021. So the content was a little bit different. I've shifted to be more, hey, the world's crazy. Maybe it's not set up in our favor. I try to have things that are making people laugh, lighten the mood, educate. And I totally see that from you as well. So when you posted about the casino, it's something to think about because I've actually never been to one, but a lot of people's homes are like casinos now. Yeah. At nighttime, you don't know if you don't know that it's nighttime because there are all of these lights. So, what is your home environment like at nighttime? Is there anything that you prioritize since we're talking about light and you know a circadian health and all of that? What do you do at nighttime? Yeah, uh, that is a good question. So, I'm at a much 
further north latitude than you in New York. So right now, and we're actually close to the winter solstice. It's today. So this is the shortest day of the year. So it's going to get dark today at around like 4.30. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. So for some people, most people, I would say, if you're working a, a, a regular job, like are not going to have full control of your light environment that early in the day. But what I will try to do is try to finish eating by around like six o'clock, generally speaking, at least at this time of year. From there, I try to shut off as many lights as possible and just keep it that simple. I have a few like salt lamps that I have in spots where I spend the most time. And once the sun goes down, if it's just me and my wife, like that's basically the lighting that we use. I have like a reading light that I use because if I read at night, sometimes we'll watch, you know, TV. It's, it's rarer, but it happens. You know, we'll do that. But I do try to make sure to like maybe not put the screen setting at like 100% brightness. You know, you could tone that down a bit. If we're doing that, I have blue blockers that I wear at night. So those actually are helpful if you don't have like all like the brightness around you at 100%. So like all your lights on a set, then it's it's not going to be as useful. But if you have the general environment relatively well controlled, I find they work pretty well. Yeah. Those are some of the easy things. What I will do is if, I, I mean, usually if if I need Wi-Fi for something, I'll leave it on. But for sure, like before I go to bed, I, I just unplug it. And I have nothing plugged in in my bedroom. So there's no lights. There's no, I mean, I have a ceiling light, but I don't turn it on. But outside of that, there's no, there's nothing plugged in. I have a phone on airplane mode. I don't know, maybe 10 feet away from me because I use it as my alarm. But outside of that, I try to keep the bedroom specifically like as non-native EMF free as possible. I think that's probably the single most important thing you could do. Absolutely. I mean, maybe yeah. from my years as a night shift nurse, but I completely burnt myself out. I would drink a pot of coffee going back to that a night. I wouldn't even feel anything. It was just so that I didn't feel awful and go into a caffeine withdrawal. And then I would leave work at 8 a.m. I mean, it was it was awful. I learned that the hard way, but that is why I'm very passionate about a circadian lifestyle. And maybe you and I share different goals. I don't know if looking hot is like your driving force, but like I want to be independent when I'm older. I don't know. You want to be hot when you're older? Is that important to you? My number one driver is to, I call it functional independence. Yes. And what I, what I mean by that is exactly what you're saying. Like, I do not want to depend on any single person for me to physically do the things I need to do to live my life. Yes. So I call it functional independence, but it's exactly what you're saying. All of the above. I think yeah. some people in our society are motivated by looking good. I'm not judging anyone for that. That's just 10%. That's the outer shell. But true radiance comes from within. And that's what I've learned along the way. But I want to be a functional independent, older adult cognitively. So I have to get enough deep sleep. That's something a lot of us don't think about. We're just like, am I getting enough hours, but how's the quality of our sleep? Something that makes a huge difference is melatonin. And so light, casino-like light exposure or blue or purple, or even like a fluorescent white light, what is that going to do to a person's melatonin production? And how could that affect their sleep and everything else down the road? with the intention of whether you want to look good, you want to feel good, you want all of the above, you want to have your memory, you don't want to fall. All of these things will get you to the same place, but how is light going to get in the way of that? I'll try to make this 
as obvious as possible. Let's use the mm -hmm. context of it's at night because that's really where the biggest disconnects come from. There are certainly, I think, issues with it during the day, particularly if you spend all day indoors. But at night is where the biggest discrepancy comes in with, say, like your fluorescent lights or even like a lot of modern LEDs that don't take this stuff into account, which is probably over 95% of them. Mm -hmm. They do not give you a full spectrum of what you would get from sunlight. Particularly, they usually tend to have peaks in usually either the blue or green range. Now, they still might appear white, but that's primarily the wavelengths that are going to come through. Now, the whole concept of this was why they're banning or have banned, I should say, in most places, incandescence, because they say that incandescents are more or we're sorry, we're less energy efficient because they produce too much heat. And uh, there's a lot of controversy about that. And uh, I mean, we could talk about it if you want. What's happened, at least with those, is you got a pretty rounded spectrum. Granted, it was towards the warmer colors, mostly your, your red, infrared, orange, yellow. But with these, you're just getting spikes in certain areas. And those peaks of light really only exist when the sun is at its apex and really above depending on, again, on where you are, maybe like 20, 25 degrees to the peak and then back down. Depending on the time of year, that's going to be different hours. Effectively, what's happening is your eyes are getting signals that are telling you that it's effectively noon. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting that at 8 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, midnight, you're not going to create melatonin. And in fact, probably the opposite, you're going to get more cortisol, stress hormone release, which is going to make it even more difficult to go to sleep. So just like you were talking about, you know, in the hospital, a lot of night nurses have problems with that because they're in mostly fluorescent lit areas yeah. all night. That in and of itself makes it a more stressful environment. And I don't think people, most people, even in that environment realize that. But they were so, paying me four yeah. extra dollars an hour. You don't think that's worth <laughs> yeah. it? That's a choice for each person to make. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. If I could go back, the answer would be no, because it cost me a lot more to rebuild my health. I'm grateful for that experience, but it was it was terrible. So this light, it will impact melatonin production because it's confusing the body because it is saying it's not bad. Blue light's not bad, but would we normally have this at this time of day? How it's Correct. confusing biology. And that's really the issue. Yeah, that's like the the first layer of the conversation for sure. So the mm -hmm. melatonin part, production is actually triggered by infrared radiation, but it happens in mitochondria specifically and it's during the day. Pineal melatonin, which is actually what makes you sleepy and helps you regulate your circadian rhythm, is triggered by effectively the absence of light more so than anything. It's probably the most accurate way to say it. So when you're getting wavelengths that really only exist, exist during peak daylight hours, Again, you're you're telling essentially the clock in your brain it's not time to go to bed and everything that comes off of that is going to be affected. Again, most cells in the body run on those 24-hour cycles. So like mitosis mm -hmm. cycles are generally around 24 hours. So cell division, cell breakdown, autophagy, detoxification, repair, all that stuff mostly happens while you're sleeping. It's the same rate throughout the day. Most of that stuff happens while you're asleep. So if you're not triggering your body to get ready for that and say like you're forcing yourself to sleep with like an Ambien or something like that, you're not going to get that same quality and effect because it's not something that happens in five minutes. It takes a downshift because how long does it take for you know the sun to go down? It's not two minutes. It takes 
a while. You have the golden hour, right? For a reason. That to me is like one of the most obvious things that most people are missing. I don't think it's because folks think it's hard to understand. I think it's because what is the alternative? Because this has become just a part of my life now. So like, what do I do? And you can't see it. I think some people actually can feel it once you're aware of it, but it's not obviously apparent for most people. And to me, that's like where the biggest disconnect. Definitely. And one question I have, just a side note, do you think that's why people hallucinate when they go into sensory deprivation for an extended period of time, but people will do silent retreats or they will go isolate themselves in a dark room and they'll start to hallucinate? Is that because of the absence of light and something related to DMT? Do you know? I actually don't know the answer to that, but I would imagine, again, this is completely speculative because I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess it depends on the context. Like, are you eating at the time? Like what else is going on? But it could be, I guess, to a degree. I guess it would have to be like what the context is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for something like that, but we really have to retrain ourselves. That was the biggest thing that I learned in all of, of my health changes. I had to learn to retrain my nervous system to feel comfortable with less stimuli. And I run my business through my phone. I'm pretty sure you do as well. You know, a lot of the stuff is online. I have a podcast. So I have found ways to make it work for me. But just like you said, sleep, I am so religious about my EMF exposure. There's no, there's no technology in the bedroom. I do have a projector in there because it's important to my partner, but it's not a direct screen shining at us. It's a reflection off of the wall, which you can change the brightness. You can wear blue blockers. It's at least 10 feet away. No phones in the room. But another thing that I think is interesting is the concept of overhead light. Because Mm. what I'll do is I have a photon light from sauna space. I'll put it in the living room, turn that on. That is an incandescent bulb. And it does put off a lot of heat, which I love. But we think about overhead lights. We wouldn't naturally experience that. So all of these things don't even feel like work for me. It's kind of nice. I'm like, okay, we're getting ready for bed. And that is telling our body, oh, I know what's coming. The lights are down. We're getting ready for bed. And that all makes a difference. But like you said, you can't necessarily see those changes. Like The aura ring can't even help me see them. But if we consistently practice it, that's where we can see the changes in our data. For sure. And it's interesting you brought up the overhead lights. So most of the receptors we have in our eyes have nothing to do with the camera, the vision part. They're mostly light receptors. So we have mostly non-visual photoreceptors. Most of them are located on the bottom portion of the eye, on the back of the retina, but the bottom portion, not the top portion. Why does that make sense? Well, the sun, ideally, the only really source of light that you would get is above you. So it comes in at an angle downward. So if you were going to use light, say at, at night, ideally, like you, they would be below eye level. Now, let's say even before the invention of the light bulb in the late 1800s, what was the only source of light at night? It was candles. So and though, fireplace they were, or fires, yeah. Or a fire. Usually those are not above your head. Like they're Mm -hmm. at eye level or below. And they're, of course, on a much more warmer part of the spectrum, reds, orange, et cetera, and infrared more so than the white, blue, greens and stuff like that. So that's another part too with the overhead part. That's that's funny you brought that up. So it sounds like in different ways, we are both saying that the more that we can live in harmony with nature, the healthier we will be because we are 
part of nature. We forget that we're animals technically, and we're just so disconnected from that. And I think that's affecting people's health. Is that a statement you would agree with? That's 100%. That's the lens that I kind of view the world with at this point. And that lens doesn't jive 100% with the random controlled trial scientific idealism that we kind of deal with right now. In other words, like nature doesn't conform herself to a random control trial. And while they're useful for certain things, we certainly can't trick ourselves into thinking like that's going to be the the be all end all because nature doesn't play by our rules. We got to play by hers. And if we don't, it's going to move on to the next thing. And that yeah. might not be us if we keep going down the, ra- the rabbit hole we're going, but we'll see. <laughs> so this is an interesting segue because something that you're very passionate about that is brand new to me is iridology. The reason that I'm connecting it to what we've already spoken about, stimulants, I took 40 to 60 milligrams of Adderall a day and or really overnight when I was working night shift. And I still like, I could barely stay awake. I was still falling asleep driving home at 8 a.m. My body was like, you cannot do this. But all that I was focused on was if I have more money, then I will feel safer, then I will feel healthier. And I actually make more money now doing less, taking better care of myself. So a lot of people are just thinking, if I push, 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 it's going to get easier. I actually just completely stalled, stalled out. My system did. Hmm. Amazing learning opportunity. So if you were to have looked at my eyes back then, what I could tell you is that my pupils were huge. I had very dark eyes, even when I wasn't taking Adderall, like just the actual color of the iris. Mm -hmm. Some people I've seen say that spots will change. What is iridology and what can you tell about a person? And before I, I ask you that question, the change that I noticed after changing my lifestyle and parasite cleansing was that when I closed my eyes, the little floaters I saw, those were gone and my eyes got brighter. I don't think it was just from that. But I made significant changes, my eyes changed. So what is iridology and how does that relate to our health and what can it tell us? Iridology, as the name might suggest, is really the study of the iris, the iris structure, the iris color, and how that pertains to body systems. The easiest analogy I can use is if you've ever seen like a homunculus. Where What's that? So it's kind of like a diagram. If you Google it, it's like the brain, but certain areas of the brain are associated with certain parts of the body certain like a motor function or a sensory function basically the the iris can act as a yes. map okay. in a, in a similar way so to your case as you're talking about with colors and stuff like that that can change you can certainly see changes in that stuff over time what i will say is at least in my experience the structure of the iris and you can get some really good information from that generally doesn't change but colors certainly can different markings around it like you were talking with different spots and stuff can certainly change but what i find that's really useful is iridology itself in my opinion doesn't tell you something is actively going on at the moment from the structure but it does give folks an idea of like where their potential strengths and weaknesses are based on whatever they inherited so i can't tell you by looking at your iris say what your blood pressure is right now But I can give you an idea of you might not have a sluggish liver right now, but if there was something going wrong, like that might be one of the first areas that gets affected from looking at the structure. The color part, as you brought up, is very interesting because 
that you can see changes now usually in people who don't have like really dark eyes like really dark brown those are going to be tougher to change but if you have hazel eyes or blue eyes or or anything in between that you can usually see changes and different spots or different colorings can give you an idea of like certain organs that might be affected so if there are say like brown spots in certain areas Sure, certain organs can be affected, but usually brown spots are associated with the liver to some degree. If you see like yellowish spots or like hazy yellow spots, usually those are associated with the kidney. And then the location matters too. To me, I find it one of the most useful tools as far as getting a, a holistic picture for what's going on with the person. And based on what they tell me, or it could lead to a new line of questioning, so we can look at pictures together, again, using a screen or whatever, and get a better idea of like what that story looks like for that person. And then more importantly, like what might be some of the first areas to address and, and like in what context. And the great part about it is, I mean, listen, I love functional medicine testing and all that too, but there's barriers to that as far as cost and stuff. And, and mm -hmm. the nice part about this is it's, I mean, all you need is a phone pretty much at this point with a camera. As far as cost effectiveness, it's, it's great. And you can certainly track, like you said, some of the things you're changing over months and years. So it's it's a really fascinating tool for sure. So when you said hom homunculus, is that how you say mm -hmm. it? Homunculus. So for someone who's listening to that, I did look it up and it's showing the parts of the brain and how they correspond to other areas. So this reminds me of reflexology in a, in a way. Yeah, so you would see a map like that mm -hmm. for sure. There, there. If you look up in 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 iridology chart, you'll see like a similar concept. I mean, I could go into explaining it if you want, but I don't know if that's great audio well, without like the video. Well, it's so interesting because you know I'm just looking at one thing. It says yellowish color around your pupil is the main indicator of how toxic your body is. Is that something you would agree with? Again, usually this is going to be in someone with lighter eyes because if you have dark brown eyes you're probably not going to see that but what i would say is if it's yellowish depending on the color it, it's going to be associated with either something going on with the kidneys or like a chronic infection or okay. a chronic imbalance is a better word i don't, I don't love the term infection personally mm -hmm. but imbalance and then where it is can give you an idea of maybe like what part of the body might be most effective okay so cool and here's actually uh this is kind of related to that but I did clear correct, which is Invisalign. I moved my teeth. I did not think about why are my teeth crooked? Is this functional? Is And I did an MRI in June, the Prenuvo scan that looked at my body. My spine was all over the place. I mean, in all directions, some cervical stenosis, some bulging discs, a scoliosis all over the place. I don't recall it ever being like that from x-ray. Mm -hmm. So if it's all connected and I were to move my teeth, have you ever seen structural changes elsewhere in the body as the result of changing the mouth? Oh, from like braces or anything yeah. like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Like jaw pain and, and such for sure. Yeah. Neck pain. I mean, it can sometimes be related to like low back. Usually I find what happens if is if like the head or neck is forward, which tends to be a lot for us modern folks who sit at yeah. desks all day, the low back kind of compensates for that over time. Yeah. So if, if you tend to lean forward, you're kind of going to develop like a sway back sort of. So it's going to be like the, the S part is going to be a little bit more accentuated, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that, and I have seen a lot of 
folks who, and actually, believe it or not, my dad deals with a lot of these folks who develop jaw mouth pain from, from dental procedures, for sure. It's a lot of TMJ issues, a lot of neck issues that certainly can occur from that. I'm bringing this up because it just shows how connected the body is. And once again, I am not against hospitals or medical doctors. There's a time and a place, but you're doing something that's really looking at the body as a whole, how it's all connected and what it's trying to tell us. So it's interesting because this tooth, I believe this is kidney or bladder meridian. And I would Mm -hmm. feel a lot of sensation down there. Like I always had to pee, but it wasn't a UTI. And I just realized like the whole body is working together. And when I was in the hospital, it was very compartmentalized, especially with a nephrologist and the cardiologist. You have heart failure, so you need more Lasix. No, that's not good for the kidneys. And it was just so seen as as like a car. You know, We'll just take that out and put this in. And it sounds like what you're doing is a lot more whole system. So in addition to iridology, you also focus on detox. And I imagine there's some connection there, but how do you assess this? Do you need to see the person in person? Can you use photos like you mentioned with the iPhone? Like, How does someone assess this? And what is that process like if someone were to work with you? For the iridology part, actually, at this point, even if I see people in person, I still ask them to take pictures because it's one thing for me to see something. But if they can't see it, again, it's useful, but it's much better if you can see it too. So I'll still ask those people to take pictures because, again, it's just much easier to make the connections when I can pull up a chart and I could pull up the pictures that you took and then start putting them together with kind of what you're telling me. So usually like what I do with folks is I'll basically send them like a list of instructions on how to do it. So you could get solid pictures, like don't use zoom, use the back camera on your phone. Don't use the selfie camera, basic stuff, Mm -hmm. but you can get again with any decent phone today, like you can get really pretty high quality pictures, especially if you have a second set of hands, like someone else taking the picture. But yeah, like it's much easier, I find, when I have the pictures, even if people are in person, because again, they could see it too. Okay. So, how does that relate to detoxification? What's, if any overlap, what is it? Do you notice that when people detoxify their bodies, they notice changes in how they're feeling and also in the eyes? What have you, what have you seen there? So, you can see that actually similar to kind of like what you said before. Uh, usually, what happens is, The eyes tend to get lighter, not darker. In color, if there are spots or pigments, sometimes those can disappear or lighten over time. Now, generally speaking, these usually come, I found, after symptoms for most people. So if it usually takes like at least a year, if not longer, for the color, or at least to notice the color changes, I should say. But it they can be like sometimes pretty significant depending on the person um, and how deep they go. Certainly, like I I find folks who have been on, like you were saying, like medications for a while tend to have like more dark pigmented spots. So for those folks, it might take longer, but you could certainly see some of those changes with time. But again, the with time is the key. It's not going to be something that like you do for a month and it's like, oh, wow, it went away. That's usually that I've never seen that. Yeah. It's with a lot of time usually. The eyes are so interesting because I work intermittently as a nurse, not in the hospital anymore. And I'll work in surgery centers in PACU. So I see people when they wake up, 
And I don't know if you've ever had anesthesia or seen someone wake up from anesthesia, but it's a very distinct look in everyone's eyes. Uh, Their eyes go side to side and it's kind of cloudy and they eventually come back. But I can tell when someone's still under, you know, and they're just Mm. waking up and the eyes can tell us so much. So in addition to health, or even health, what what do the eyes tell you about a person? So outside of just looking at like the physical component, I mm-hmm. think one of the benefits of, of I, I think even now just kind of working with folks online is just picking up on, on mannerisms, like confidence. Does the person believe what you're saying or willing to do what you want or, or you know, want to guide them through? Because to me, like, it's crazy because like we live in a world now where what is it like 60% of people apparently have a chronic disease at some point, like at least one to be even like a relatively healthy human being in America in going into 2024 is such a small percentage that you are going to be like a black sheep by definition. And I it just is so radically different from what most people do that it, that to me that that seems to be the biggest barrier for most people because it's you know how do you handle social situations with family how do you handle with friends that to me is usually the biggest barrier you know oh i go shopping at these stores how do i do it different you know i have these lights and i'm renting an apartment like i can't really change them or something like that there's answers to these problems, but like they're different for each person. And like, unless you don't know the context or really prioritize them, like have a hierarchy of these are probably the things you should do first. It can get overwhelming. And I don't, this is the part where social media is tricky because if you look, there certainly is no lack of information. What the problem is creating a hierarchy, like creating a priority list as far as what do I need to do now? And then it's really just like executing through the social changes that like are going to happen. And and that to me, I found is like the hardest part because particularly if you live with people who aren't with it, it's going, it's, it's going to be a rough ride, you know, unless you can have those conversations and kind of get through it because it's just, it's a different wavelength and not everyone prioritizes their health to just be blunt about it. It's a small percentage of people. It's hard. And I find like the social aspect is the, is the, the biggest barrier for most folks. Do you think that's changed for you at all? Yeah. I mean, listen, I I grew up and lived in New York city. Like two years ago, my wife, I moved out. So we don't live there. You're still in New York state. Still in New York state. Yeah. Okay. I don't see the folks that I love some of the people that like I grew up with, but a lot of them are still doing the same things we did when we were 18. And I, I don't, have mm-hmm. the desire to do that. I, if I want to see them, I kind of have to do it on my terms. Like I, I have to go out of my way to schedule it. Like I'm not going to be out at the bars and midnight <laughs> or anything like that anymore. And like some people are going to be okay with those lines you draw. And some people aren't again, like certainly I would say that circle's gotten smaller, but what I think you do learn through that process is the people who actually like do care about you and respect it. They might not agree with it, follow you for for lack of a better word but if they respect it and are cool with it like as far as i'm concerned that's the part that matters you know if you can get to that point and you're not forcing it you know on on those people and they're like willing to be okay with it then to me that's a win to me like you got to take what you could get nothing's going to be a hundred percent yes the short answer is yeah things have changed i'm sure they'll continue to but what you lose 
along the way, I think you gain because you find other people who are in a similar space over that, time. And, and that's the yeah. part I think that's scary because it's unknown. Yeah. So many people, when they make an investment in themselves, they think about, oh, all the things they can't do. But I'm like, but you're investing in yourself because you're also achieving a certain outcome to better your life. Like, oh yeah, I forgot about that part. And right. it's it's so easy to focus <laughs> on that. I would say there are a lot of people, I don't think I'm better than anyone. I make different choices, choices that are better for me. And one thing I've always really liked about you and respected is that we do live different lifestyles in many ways. I don't know, maybe you get your lashes done, probably not, but I've never felt judged <laughs> for doing what's right for me because the world I want to live in has respect for other people. And I just don't think we're all going to agree. No, which I totally brings- agree. And and with that, like to me, and this is why like I don't I don't try to fight with people too much on this because to me the most important thing is the informed consent part. Like I really am not going to care what other people do like uh, with day to day. I do care if they're informed about it because yes. that to me is where the biggest disconnect is and if you don't get all the sides to what you're talking about you're going to make uninformed decisions and most people make uninformed decisions and then feel like they're trapped. And to me, that's a problem. 100% agree. And that was my stance in 2020. Do whatever you want to. I I never gave anyone the juice, as I like to say. (laughs) But if that was the right choice for someone and we were giving it, I would have if that's what was right for the person. But Mm -hmm. I would never force someone into or talk someone out of something. I would just say, here's the information. I want you to make an informed decision. And we didn't see that. So I I really respect that. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, because while this may not be something that is important to me, I know that you have lived a vegan lifestyle for a very long time. It's very important to you. I'd love to know why. I'd love to know how long and how that has improved or changed your quality of life in any way. So interestingly, I'm certainly in the minority on this. Like I never went this route for any like ethical or even like ecological reasons initially. So it was strictly from a health standpoint, which can be a fun conversation, Mm -hmm. maybe another time, but, and it wasn't like I did it overnight. So actually part of kind of that journey that I outlined in the beginning was slowly like transitioning in that direction. Now I will tell you like most of the benefits that I mentioned all happened. I was I was not 100% plant-based even at the end of the nine months that I mentioned. I just kind of continued to go with it. And I, I can't even say like it's been a date, but maybe like six years-ish at this point. And then like I've just been able to like refine and add to it. But I've always looked at it from a health standpoint because I've always found, again, like the ethical stuff I think is tricky because I know plants feel things. So so it's not that. I just believe it's a cycle of nature type of thing. Listen, we know it, it from dust to dust. We're going to end up from the same place we came from. It's just nature changes forms. And that's okay. That's part of life uh, for everything, including us. So that was never part of it for me. The ecological stuff is important, but I think it's for different reasons than, and I've gotten in trouble in vegan groups for this because I've always talked about like the soil health and how nature is fractal and how if you strip soils of nutrients that's going to strip people whether you're getting it from plants or animals it's the same thing and i don't think people put that together Mm -hmm. and they miss the bigger picture so that big ag and big pharma still essentially run all that 
But to the the vegan point of it, the way I've looked at it is this, and this is goes back to like I think nature's the ultimate science experiment. Mm-hmm. Is and this again, I, I I'm not totally sure where your audience falls on this, but like if you're gonna fall in line or 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 agree to some degree with the theory of evolution and how humans are so, in some way related to primates, however you get to that point, those are our closest relatives, if you want to call it that. They are primarily fruit eaters and no other species on this planet cooks our food. Now, I'm not saying I'm eat 100% raw foods, but what I will say, especially because I live in New York, but what is clear to me, in my opinion, is that probably most people, well, definitely most people should be eating more fruits and vegetables, period. And and I'm not going to fight you on like the 100% or anything like that, but, and very likely human beings probably should be in tropical or subtropical environments, period. Okay. Which is for that reason. It's, and it's again, simple questions. If I went outside right now and and lived like any other species, so that means no indoor housing, no heating, no clothes, you know, would you be able to survive where you live? (laughs) If the answer is no, you're probably not supposed to biologically be there. And I don't think that's very controversial to say we've created that because we break the laws of nature to be where we are. And I get that to a degree. And that's where sometimes technology and stuff can be useful. It's not going to replace that, but it can help. Um, And and to me, again, if we're related mostly to primates and that's kind of what they're mostly eating, to me, it just makes sense to follow in that. We're not that different. I do think it's crazy to think that like certain people from certain like human beings within themselves are very different because that I don't feel like is true that we don't apply that logic to any other species so i mentioned to you before we started this there's someone i know who's in iceland and is asking Mm. me about you know a circadian lifestyle and in arizona it's going to be a lot different than it would be even in california i mean i'm in the desert california is a great place for growing plants and food and and all of that so are there a lot of native fruits and vegetables in Iceland? And, you know, I guess we could really, I don't know that I have this information now, but like, when did people start to live there? And when did we start to live in these very cold environments? But historically people have lived in cold environments. So what might their diet be like? So again, I think there's a difference between biological adaptations and behavioral and okay. moving into those places is mostly behavioral because you at that point you had clothes, you had fires, you had all these other things to kind of, those aren't biological adaptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I make the distinction. And I do think using what's available in your environment is probably best from a survival standpoint. So like, again, like you do the best you can. I think, again, one of the benefits of living today is like we, most people can get access to things that they normally wouldn't, which you can use to your advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Now, certainly in Iceland, like, listen, like, you know, you might need, you know, some sort of bright light or like a 10,000 lux light lamp or something, you know, for this time of year, because you probably have five, six hours of sunlight, maybe probably less than that. So like, that's just going to be part of it because again, it's not ideal in my opinion for people. And I'm not trying to tell people to move because that's not realistic for everyone, but we have to to take the other stuff like the circadian health more seriously. And again, that to me is like more foundational. So like 
we can talk about some of the diet stuff more, but to me, it's like getting that stuff right first. And then we could, then I think we could talk about more of the fine tuning and, and things of that nature. Cause to me, we're not even close, generally speaking. So let's just move in the right direction first. Yeah. Before we start, you know, getting into the the minutia. <laughs> okay. So two questions. If you could live anywhere and you said tropical, you think is best, that's what feels best for me. Where might that be for you? It, it would be somewhere I don't know where exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I joke around with my wife like if i didn't meet her when i did i would have moved to florida almost like immediately after school um because i would have wanted to stay in the u.s so like you certainly don't have to stay in the u.s but it would be a tropical or subtropical climate yeah okay somewhere. if i were in the u.s i think florida i love scottsdale but it's so 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 hot in the summer so florida i agree with that and then People say that you cannot be healthy on a vegan diet. Now, I would agree with that if it's processed junk, but this is not a a quick phase. This is six years, you said? Yeah. How has this improved your health and your quality of life? And what are some of the misconceptions that people might have that you have found to not be true for you? Yeah. So it improved my health by all the things that I mentioned in the past. Now, again, it was gradient. It wasn't over time. It wasn't like this day I decided it. It was over six to nine months. I made that turn probably longer. I made the, the full transition. So let's call it a year. The mistakes most people make are a few things. One is, and this is why like, I try to push back when folks say this, like, oh, like generally vegans are protein deficient. And like, Hey, look, there's literally no cases when people eat enough food. So like what I said, what I see mostly is people not eating enough or they're eating the processed garbage. Now, I uh, have never been and never will support any of these Bill Gates farm like farms or anything that's 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 GMO or anything of that sort. And and to come up with this idea that like, oh, you're going to save the planet or save people by doing this is at best idiotic. So let's put all that to the side because that uh, that's ne- I'm never going to support that. And I don't think anyone who cares about health should. Mm-hmm. So all that to the side, you know, if you can get that out of the way, that's a big one. The biggest thing, if you get that out is getting enough food and not eating the junk is usually underlying gut issues. And this is where most people struggle because if, and I actually at the time didn't realize this, but over time I have working with people is when I see folks who try to like jump in and do it overnight and they go from say having like, I don't know, 20 grams of fiber to like 60 a day, that's going to cause some digestive discomfort for anyone. Yeah. So what most people do though, is they'll do it a week and then be like, oh, it's not for me. I felt like crap. And then that's it. Now I've seen people go from say like, 20 grams to like 60, 70, 80. And I tell them, I'm like, look, you can do it. It's going to be very uncomfortable for like a month. And some people are like, okay. And they do it. I'm like, okay, that's not how I would do it. I would say, you know, try to up it maybe like five to 10 grams a week, depending on how you feel so that you can start rebuilding that soil that we're talking about. Cause that's really what fiber largely is doing in a very simplistic way, but that's largely what it's doing is rebuilding that terrain, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, for those microbes, but you kind of, you kind of can't shotgun it overnight. So when I see folks do it like overnight, that's a problem. 
the other big thing again is if there are any like underlying chronic issues SIBO uh sensitivities to things like oxalates or histamines or anything like that there is some sort of underlying imbalance that's been there for a year usually for most people the based on how they eat and lifestyle, it's a fungal overgrowth. The reason why I say that is because fungi and and fungi parasites, which I don't love the word, but you know, those are effectively nature's cleanup crew. So if they're mm -hmm. present in you, something is decaying or dying that needs to be fixed. And sure, it's one thing to clean it out, but the question you have to ask is why? Like, why are yes. they there in the first place? Is there mm -hmm. sluggish liver issues messing up with digestion or gallbladder or pancreas not creating enough bicarbonate or digestive enzymes because stomach acids low like you have to answer all these questions and those answers are different for each person mm -hmm. so one of the things that again i probably get into tr some trouble with people with is like oxalates in and of themselves are not bad like you create oxalates on your own through just vitamin c cycling in your body so it the question is okay you're sensitive to this why mm -hmm. and it's usually one of those things we just talked about we just have to figure out which one it is for that person and usually with time again as you regrow that as you rebuild that terrain like those things become less of a problem for people yeah and to me that it, it again it's a longer process than most folks think but again the the immediate gratification environment we usually live in like people want it in like two weeks four weeks and it's like depending on the person like this could be a year plus and, and that i think is the biggest disconnect and i think why so many people fail or they'd be like oh i've tried everything like they've tried a then b then c then d but really you have to do a and b and c and d and add them over time yeah um that seems to be the biggest disconnect so i would say if the protein thing it, again is just eating enough calories uh and and it's really not that complicated otherwise. If you're having trouble with digesting protein, then it's the other things that we talked about. And that is a different problem. And for me, personally speaking, like if you are an American, there's probably some work in the gut you have to do at this point. Yeah, it, It's, it, that's just unfortunately like the, the reality we've created for ourselves. So we have to be responsible for making it better. And, and whether that's our direct input or not, like we, that's just, that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. um, and if you get to that and, and you take the responsibility of it, even if you didn't directly input it, then you can really start, I think, seeing some changes. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, obviously we could talk a lot more, but in wrapping up, yeah. um, I believe that the more change a person needs, the less they can handle at once. Yes. And sometimes if we have lived for decades, it's going to take longer than one to two weeks to change. So is it that it's not helpful or is it that we haven't given it enough time? And sometimes we need to fine tune and troubleshoot. So in yeah. wrapping up, how can people work with you? And do you offer support in between? Because mm -hmm. if someone is working with you and they want to make changes and they're like, well, I'm not pooping and I'm introducing fiber, do you give people the opportunity to fine tune? Or what does that look like when someone works with you? What are the yes. options? Yeah. So that's a good point. So Right now, like I work with people in three month blocks, but it could be longer than that for that reason, because things change in real life and I can't, you know, live with you. So I have open dialogue with, with all the folks that I work with. So they have the opportunity to, to message me or send voice notes or, or email or whatever. So we can 
fine tune and tweak things, you know, as we go. So, because again, all the, every, and just real life sometimes gets in the way. So it's just things come up. People are at different areas. They're, they're dealing with different people and finances and the whole bit. So, you know, having that ability to be in contact and, and see where someone's at, I, I to me is probably like the biggest missing link in just yes. healthcare in general, because it's, I find even in, in our consultations, which is what I, I start with with folks, like it's definitely not enough to get an idea. I mean, it's enough to, I think, get an idea, but I, I'm never going to get to all the questions that that you really want answered in an hour. Um, and I don't yeah. think anyone could do that. It's So being able to have that constant communication and peel back layers of the onion one at a time, I think is important. Definitely. And, you know, I do weekly calls with clients, but the change doesn't happen on the call. It happens in the moments in between. So it sounds like you are willing to see the whole person and pivot with them as things come up. Um, So where can people find you? Is Instagram the best way? Is there a website? Where can people find you? And I can put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. So on socials, um, it's just at Dr. Vincent Esposito, DR, not the word doctor. Um. And then I have my website, which is insideouthealthwellness.com, which, you know, you could reach out to me there if you want to work out, uh, you know, work with me or check out some of the blogs, which talks about a lot of the stuff we talked about today. So, um, yeah, those are the ways to kind of get in touch. Amazing. I've learned so much from you today. It's so nice. You know, there were a lot of other things that we could have talked about, but we touched on a lot of really important pieces and it's always changing. It's always evolving. So we started with diet in our own ways. And now we're looking at other things. And what I'm really focusing on is light. It sounds like you're very passionate about quantum biology. And we could definitely talk about that more in the future, but it's having that mindset of just continuing to learn, continuing to listen to our body and say, is this working for me versus one size fits all. And I just think you're such a reasonable, intelligent leader and you do a really great job and I love your content. So thank you for being here today and you add so much value to the world. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you. I did too. And and I hope we can do it again soon. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. I love some citrine and one of my favorite lines that they carry is Tata Harper. I've used this line for years and my all-time favorite product that Tata Harper makes is the regenerating cleanser. It's like this pinkish color, it's exfoliating, it smells so good and I love to use that almost every day but definitely on nights where I wear makeup, that's my go-to cleanser. It's incredible but I wanted to share some other favorites that I've discovered and one is the resurfacing body serum. Love to use it by itself. And then I also love the revitalizing body oil. So on their own, they're both great, but I found if I mix them together and put it on the skin, I love how that feels. So my code Ashley Taylor Wellness saves 10% at Citrine, and it includes the line Tata Harper. Normally their code only saves on your first order, but for my audience, they have been so generous and they will apply that discount to all orders. So definitely make sure to check it out. Link is in the show notes and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening to the high maintenance hippie podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it and leave a review, ideally a five-star review. If you loved it, all of this is free of charge and really helps me to be able to run the podcast. If you take a screenshot and tag me, I'll repost you and shout you out on Instagram. So tag Ashley Taylor wellness and high maintenance hippie podcast. 
If you have any feedback or guests that you'd like to have, I would love to hear from you so that I'm not just talking at you. I really want to deliver things that are valuable. So send me an email with any feedback, suggestions, or ideas for guests at ashley at ashleytaylorwellness.com. And I will leave you with a disclaimer. Please know that this is not medical advice or a replacement for seeking medical care. Everything discussed on this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. Always consult with your medical provider before making any changes. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.